Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to talk about the Orang Madan, which is a ghost ship. We like a good mystery. And we like a good ghost. We do like a good ghost. And sometimes we like ships. We like a lot of things. Yeah. (laughs) So the existence is widely debated. There are a lot of arguments whether or not it actually existed online. So it was very interesting to read both sides of the story. And one of the main reasons that people argue about it is because there's a lot of conflicting years that this may have happened. So it could have been in or around 1939, 1940, June of 1947, or possibly February of 1948. Just a casual decade discrepancy. Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why people are very passionate about what year they think it happened in. Yeah. Like, I feel like when we think 1900s, because I existed in the 1900s, anything in that time period doesn't seem that long ago. But the world was vastly different. Yeah, exactly. And also, there's been various stories printed in things like newspapers and booklets over time. And each time it's been published, there has been details added and different embellishments to the details of what may or may not have happened. So that's also why it's very confusing for some, which fair, because when you pick up a newspaper, you would think that what's in the newspaper would be accurate or you would hope it would be. Yeah. Well, also, this is a time when like print media is more revered, right? Like now people don't believe actual scientists or the media in general, but like, right, I think skeptical, but not antagonistic. It's probably the, the phrasing there. <laughs> so let's talk about what it actually was and what may have happened. So there's a few versions. And what we tried to do is put them together in a couple different versions and add a few details when needed. Because like I said, there's so many different years and so many different versions, we tried to condense it a little bit. So the first version, one morning, an SOS was received by several British and Dutch outposts near the coast of Indonesia. The call was very creepy, and it came from a Dutch steamer called the Orang Medan. The first message was, we float. All officers, including captain, are dead, lying in chart room and bridge, possibly whole crew dead. That is terrifying. Also, just we float gives me Pennywise vibes. Not the cat behind my house, but like real Pennywise. That's all I think of. Following the distress call was several incoherent Morse code messages. So they just didn't know what they were trying to say. Isn't that just beeps then? That's just beeps. (laughs) It's just a lot of beeps. It is. It is. And then one final message from the operator. The final message was, I die. I Creepy. It gives me chills. Yeah. (laughs) I just imagine this poor guy just trying to get messages out. It's terrifying. Well, also, like, when I think about Morse code, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's either a dot or a dash, and a dot is a quick beep, and a dash is a long beep, right? I will admit something that I've never admitted before. I am not a Morse code scientist. (gasps) Yes. I feel (laughs) mildly certain, yes, that that that's what it is. It is, yeah. I'm looking at the alphabet currently. Yes. So, like, I die would be like, beep, 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 beep. Yes. Right? And that, I'm looking to see, like, is there anything, it would be like, E, 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 D, like, E, D, E, die. My point is, like, it, it wouldn't have been something else. Right. Right. Obviously, Morse code is relatively reliable or the people wouldn't have used it at all. But that's like that's my first question is like, how, what would that look like? How would that sound? Right. And we will get into it when we go to the next version. But there's also a discrepancy on what might have been said. Hmm. But in this first story, the Silver Star, an American ship, was closest to the Orang Medan. I've also seen a version that I'm going to lump into this one that said the city of Baltimore also received the signal and they had a doctor on board. So either they journeyed towards the Orang Medan too, or they just offered communication to the Silver Star for help. Various stories around that as well. 
So its captain, being the Silver Star, accepted the rescue mission. Several hours later, and I've seen anywhere from like 16 to 19, even the following morning, the Silver Star found the Orang Medan. It was 50 miles away from where it had last given its position, and it was in the Strait of Malacca. Speaking of the Strait of Malacca, in 2014, that's also where Malaysian Flight 370 disappeared. I find that in the 2000s, the idea of a loss of an aircraft, completely bananas. Because we like to think that the world is like discovered, right? Like there's no place that's uncharted. But clearly, there's places that we have no concept of being able to search or look for, right? Like it's just gone. Well, that and technology, right? Like that much failed technology to be able to keep track of something and then to later retrieve it kind of is creepy in a way. Yeah. How? How does that happen? And I I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole too much, but I did see a number of theories and people that are like, I know where it is. So very interesting. One being that maybe there's another triangle there. I mean, you know, I love a good triangle, but I think that there should be like some type of mechanism like on a plane that like if it goes underwater and like reaches a certain pressure, it like shoots something up to the surface like a buoy. You feel me? Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that this way it's like it's here because missing planes are stressing me out. Did you watch Manifest, by the way? You know, I didn't. It's about a missing plane. It's very good. Anywho, sorry, please continue. You know me and my tangents. So the Silver Star tried to contact the Orang Medan, but there was no response. So then they're like, okay, we need to go onto the ship, see what's going on. So a rescue crew then boarded the ship. When they got onto the ship, everyone was dead. And I'm going to go through a couple details. And again, this is a couple different stories put together. But ultimately, the crew's bodies were all over the decks. One account said teeth bared with their upturned faces towards the sun, staring as if in fear. Their arms had tried to fight something off in one account. The radio operator, who they believe had sent the original distress signal, was still at his station, also dead. His finger still on the Morse code key. In some accounts, they even say the ship's dog, a terrier, was dead and supposedly in mid-growl. So also fearful or scared. Also, though, but a snarl, whether on a human or an animal, is tensed muscles. When you die and your muscles are no longer tensed because you can't actively tense them, the idea that you're literally frozen in an expression, any expression, seems bizarre. Yeah. And we're going to get into the theories at the end, but there's a theory to why. So hold on to that thought. So as I said, most accounts say that the entire crew was dead. However, there are some stories that say a single lifeboat and possibly one man was missing. One other variation said, yes, that same lifeboat was gone. But instead of one person being missing, it was seven people that were missing. Okay. And of those seven people, only one ended up surviving. So they decided to tow the ship back to port. They're like, we don't know what happened. Let's figure this out. They're towing it back to the closest port, from what I understand. As they attach the ship, they notice that there's some smoke coming from the hull. And of course, I'm like, what's a hull? Trusty Google told me it's the main body of a boat. (laughs) Clearly, I'm not a ship scientist. So because they didn't want anything also to happen to them, they quickly cut the tie. So the connection between the boat and abandoned the ship. Moments later, the Orang Medan exploded. This is why a lot of people believe this mystery is still alive, because there's no evidence left. So as it exploded, it jumped up and then immediately sank. And there was nothing left. Wild. Right? So the second account of this we're going to discuss is from Italy from 1940. So the Associated Press published a story from an unnamed merchant marine officer who claims to have had an eyewitness account. And this was in the Yorkshire Post on November 21st of 1940. So he claims that he was part of the rescue mission. Just as a general note, there was also another publication around the same time, which was the British national newspaper, the Daily Mirror, and it had similar information. So both of these sources say that it was a British merchant ship who was first on the scene, and they don't mention the city of Baltimore or Silver Star, but all accounts have the same ending. So here's what his account was. He said that the original distress call was a request for medical assistance on June 27th of 1947. Then there was a request for a warship. And it said, SOS from the steamship Orang Medan begs ships with shortwave wireless get in touch doctor 
urgent. Probable second officer dead. Other members, crew also killed. Disregard medical consultation. SOS, urgent assistance, warship. So the Orang Medan did provide its location, but then the messages became unintelligible. These are completely different SOS signals from the first story. Yeah, but I think equally terrifying. Equally terrifying. And I mean, to me, the assistance of a warship suggests an aggressor in a very different way. Yes. Right. Like, Because here we're looking at like, before you're even on the ship, you're like, they're being attacked versus like indications from bodies. Right. Right. So the officer claimed that it took 16 hours to find the ship and that the ship was leaning a bit on its starboard side off the coast of the Solomon Islands. Starboard side is the right side. So in this account, when the rescuers came upon the ship, the propeller was motionless and there was no flag flying on the ship. They tried to make contact via a megaphone, but there was no response. So the rescue crew sent two lifeboats to the ship and each boat had eight men. When they boarded their orangutan, they found 12 bodies. And this is a quote. Bodies of sailors were lying about on the deck. We could find no sign of a wound on any of them. Death seemed to have taken them by surprise at their posts. And so that I feel like it's different from the first, but it also like we found dead bodies. Okay, that's in common. But it's interesting that they say like by surprise, because if I was to say like death seemed to have taken them by surprise, I feel like you could interpret it as either one, they were going about their business and then suddenly they're dead. Or two, the bodies looked surprised. And to me, that first version feels like it comes from that almost, right? That their teeth were bared, like they were surprised and shocked. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but it feels like an interpretation of that that is like maybe not where my head would go, but different, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like it could go either way. Yeah. So then suddenly there were explosions that set fire to the ship. So the Marine officer and the other rescuers had to make like an escape off of the ship because it basically burned the ship to the waterline. Yep. No evidence. Again, no damn evidence. So in the publication, the officer stated, we reckon the Orang Medan should have had a crew of about 40. They saw only 12 bodies, though. We're missing what? Quick math. 28. We're missing 28 people. Is it possible that they just were in the downstairs of the ship? In the cabin? The cabin? I've been watching a lot of Outlander, and I feel like at one point there's a lot of boat things happening. So I feel like they say, go down to the cabin? Maybe I could easily Google this, but I I don't want to misrepresent my boat knowledge to anyone. <laughs> I mean, it could be maybe they were somewhere and they just didn't happen upon them or maybe they escaped or I've seen that maybe they should have had 40, but they cut some corners when hiring the crew. OK, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So maybe there wasn't enough people. Yeah, these all work. A lot of different theories or even if like some of them got sick. That's true. Toodaloo. Off the boat with you. (laughs) Is that what they say? Yeah. That's the cross-stitched thing on the ship. Yeah, toodaloo. If you're sick, boo-hoo. Toodaloo. Off the ship with you. That's like the sign. That's the full sign. I want people to... (laughs) If you have a boat ship... Yeah. I need this printed on your ship. Also, if you cross-stitch, we would love to see this. <laughs> Perfect. I want that on every uh, marine website from now on. Yeah, they'll love that, right? Sure, that's how things work. We're boat scientists. <laughs> it's laughable, it is. So, from here, I mean, the whole thing. The timeline gets really sketchy after publications, and because there were more publications that came about. And if I understand it correctly, through, you know, reading these old timey papers, a lot of people saw these new publications before they saw the 1941 that we've already discussed. There were three articles in a Dutch Indonesian newspaper. I'm not going to try to say it. It's very long. It was first published February 3rd, 1948, then February 28th, and then March 13th. I couldn't find the exact translation for the three articles, but I did find someone that actually summarized them. So I'm hoping this was correct. So in these three articles, they also did not mention the Silver Star or the city of Baltimore. They said the incident took place 400 nautical miles southeast of the Marshall Islands, so a whole different place. The ship was sailing out of a Chinese port and headed for Costa Rica, and they were deliberately trying to avoid the authorities due to their cargo that they shouldn't have probably been taking places. Their dubious cargo. 
Sketch as fuck. Yeah, sketch as fuck. In these articles, they said that there was a single survivor, and it was a German man. One source says, and this isn't in the article, but I did find a source, that the man was the second officer, and they called him Jerry Rabbit. We'll touch on his story in a bit. I don't know why that makes me so uncomfortable. It's like a weird name. Remember how in our last episode, we talked about how like some names sound believable while others don't. Yes. This one in my head falls in the doesn't exist category. I think it's also that like I've seen many an animated rabbit and I've never seen one with a German accent. Obviously, this was a a human person, not a rabbit. But if your name is Jerry Rabbit or you're called Jerry Rabbit, you to me, you are then a rabbit or as my niece calls them, Hop Hops. He was a Hop Hop. He was a Hop Hop. Jerry Hop Hop. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, when I was looking through it, I was trying to fill in the pieces here and there because there's just so many stories. And I'm like, okay, single survivor. I bet they're talking about Jerry Rabbit. So (laughs) who could know? Classic Jerry Rabbit. The sole survivor, whoever he may have been, was found by an Italian missionary. And he washed up on the Taongi Atoll, which is also the Bocock Atoll. Hopefully I'm saying that right. And it's an uninhabited coral atoll in the Marshall Islands. And an atoll is a ring-shaped reef, island, or chain of islands formed of coral. Oh, it's interesting when you look at like pictures of it because it like surrounds, it's like an island of coral that encircles a lagoon. Yeah, they're cool looking. Yeah, they're stunning. So yeah, they're pretty, but like if they're uninhabited, I don't know how he was found. Maybe because it was weird to see like anything on there. Maybe, maybe. Someone just happened upon them. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So the survivor was unable to overcome his ordeal is the way that they described him. But before his death, he did say that the ship had been carrying sulfuric acid and it was stowed poorly. Now, remember this name coming up for later, but the missionary went on to tell the story to an author later, and his name was Silvio Shirley. And Silvio Shirley is very interesting. The reason being is because, remember, I'm talking about articles that were published in 1948 currently, right? We talked about an article in 1940 that was published, obviously, years beforehand. Shirley lived in Italy when the Associated Press report had come out. So he knew about it perhaps in 1940. And then according to this report in 1948, that's kind of like where the story could have come from. Right? Like, the sole survivor told it to a missionary who then went on to tell Silvio Shirley. Yeah. So, just interesting. We'll talk about that in a bit, too. There's no evidence that it was him that filed the initial reports in 1940, but there's reason to believe he might have. And that he possibly recycled the story with some embellishments later, and maybe he's the one that also did these 1948 articles. Yeah. I think also just like another part of the story of this rendition that sticks out to me is the sulfuric acid portion. Because like, one, it's known to be highly corrosive, but also while it's not flammable in and of itself, it can have volatile reactions with other combustibles. So like if it's not stowed well and it's stowed near something that is super flammable, the heat that's generated could have caused these fires. Yeah. And I think that like that's like what makes me go like hmm, the most is like, what are these mystery explosions and being able to like point to something? Right, right. Yeah, it gives us another detail that answers one of our many questions, right? So we're going to go into more 1948 articles in a minute, but I do want to say that there is proof that Shirley lived in Italy in 1940, but then between these dates, he did at some point come to the United States because his name is listed on passenger lists. And there's some blanket dates. It doesn't give you like this date he sailed, but there's some blanket years. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that he could have come to the US in between there. And there's a reason I say that. Yeah. So the story emerged in the United States on October 10th of 1948 in the Albany Times. Also, just like October 10th is a solid date. So my bestie was born not in 1948, but that's good. On October 10th. He's not in his 70s now. But so (laughs) for the Albany Times, the incident was also referenced in May of 1952. Also, the United States Coast Guard published the Proceedings of the Merchant Marine Council, which was published in 1952 that also referenced the incident. There are tons of articles in different years, but they all ultimately paint like the same type of scenario and they just add a detail or like slight facts or change like names or dates. 
So Andrew Hotheimer, a researcher who has deeply researched other conspiracies like the Philadelphia Experiment, has been featured on several networks like History and Discovery Channel. And he has some interesting thoughts about the Orangutan on his page. And then also just like generally, if you don't know what the Philadelphia Experiment is, it's a World War II conspiracy. But so Hotheimer theorizes that the incident took place on November 13th of 1939 because of some publications that he was able to track down. So he found a French publication that had an article that referenced an even earlier article that was published in 1940 that said the incident was in 1939, which if that's not the equivalent of like my neighbor's sister's brother friend said, it sounds like it. Yeah, but I don't think it is. He had the name of the publications and I was trying to track it down. It is a, a real publication. And again, I don't speak French, so it was really hard to like decipher yeah, but I was able to find like the thing actually exists, but I can't read it. And because they're so old, you know, like nowadays we can just copy and paste into a translator. But because it's like a publication. Yeah. You have to like type every word and have every uh, punctuation and all that fun stuff. No, 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 it's no. It's hard. Yeah. No, so I've tracked down a couple like people that have summarized things. So any of them in different languages, that's what we were able to do. It's kind of hard. Yeah. But I mean, that seems credible to me. But so another account mentioned Jerry Rabbit specifically, and they say that the following was his specific account of what had happened. And so per Rabbit in Shanghai, allegedly 7,000 boxes of unknown materials were taken aboard the ship overnight. Then the Orangutan sailed 80 miles south of Shanghai on June 9th of 1947, and another 8,000 boxes of unknown materials were taken aboard the ship. And this was in a smaller harbor. He suspected it was contraband, which I feel like if you're putting it on the ship in the cover of night, that's a pretty <laughs> easy place to get to. Yeah. So its destination was Costa Rica, where the cargo at sea would be handed over to another ship. So then they were told to avoid typical shipping routes. Okay, we're getting sketcher and sketcher. On June 21st, the Stokers, who worked in the engine room, began to get sick and one even died. The captain stated that the cause of death was from heat stroke. However, days later, the entire machine crew got sick. They complained of severe stomach pains and cramps. Rabbit supposedly then looked at what the ship was carrying and through some of the papers and saw that it was 15,000 boxes of sulfuric acid and cyanide. They also had 20 canisters of nitroglycerin, and he believed that some of them were leaking and creating fumes. So he brought this up with the captain, and the captain refused to make an emergency call. And so Rabbit and six other crew members set out on a lifeboat. There's our seven people, by the way, from earlier. Right. And they did not have provisions and six died. So there's our one survivor. And then Jerry died after he was rescued from exhaustion. So not for long then, which was very sad. Right. So it's just interesting to me that as we go through this, we're answering more and more questions with names and different dates and things like that. So it's hard to believe, like, which one's real? Like, did Jerry Rabbit exist? Is he the actual survivor? Was it someone else? Where was the boat, right? Like, there's so many questions. Exactly. So another odd thing that we were able to find. On December 5th of 1959, there was a letter from a man named C.H. Merrick Jr., and it was sent to an undisclosed person at the CIA. C.H. Merrick Jr. was rumored to work for the CIA. I saw in many, many articles that a man that worked at the CIA sent a letter about this. And I was able to track down the actual letter. It is on the CIA's website. Love that. And I don't believe he worked for the CIA because I found a reply to a different letter from an assistant to the director of the CIA. So I don't believe he actually held any position at the CIA. I also was able to find that he came from Scottsdale, Arizona. Interesting. The letter was classified as top secret by the CIA, and it wasn't actually released to the public until May 5th of 2003. So it was top secret from 1959 to 2003, which to me is a little suspicious, right? This is one of the reasons why people passionately say the story is true, because why else would they mark it as classified? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things that are tangentially marked as classified because like they fall into buckets. 
So I am always a little bit hesitant when it's like by its very nature is it of it being classified, that means X, Y, Z. Yeah, for sure. Or they hadn't have time to sit there and release it, even though it had nothing. But I just thought it was interesting. So this is actually the the one that I'm going to review was the second letter he had sent. And we'll talk about the reply to his first letter in a few minutes. So it had asked there, there being the CIA, opinion of the Orang Medan incident and whether something from the unknown could have been involved. It mentioned that in early February of 1948, that's when the SOS came from the ship. So 1948, a whole other date. Dutch and British listening posts located the vessel as proceeding through the Malacca Strait, which we've heard that before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the sea was calm and the weather was clear. So added details again. He also quoted the first stories, SOS, about the officer and the captain being dead. It discussed how the bodies were found and the additional details. So most were all the same. And then here's a quote from the letter. I feel sure that the SS Orang Medan tragedy holds the answer to many of these airplane accidents and unsolved mysteries of the sea. Hmm. Also, I have often thought about the many sightings of huge fiery spheres rising from the sea, and yes, sea in quotes, or disappearing into the sea, in quotes again, by ships, captains, and crews in the 18th and 19th centuries. What's he talking about, right? Yeah. So he gave examples of the times that these spheres were referred to. He has a lot of them. I just wrote down a few. Old English chronicles written in medieval. Latin books printed before the year 1500 AD, they suggested that the spheres caused destruction and that they came from within our own planet. Okay. In 216 BC, quote, things like ships were seen in the sky over Italy. In AD 1067, people saw a fire that flamed and burned fiercely in the sky. It came near the earth and for a little time brilliantly lit it up. Afterwards, it resolved, ascending on high, then descended into the sea. In several places, it burned woods and plains. So I had never heard of these, but I was like, okay, okay. We ended the letter with, yes, the enchanting sea. What terrifying secret does it hold? I feel sure that the SS Orang Medan tragedy also holds the answer to this secret. Hmm. So that's why people are like, is he talking about like alien ships? Are those the spheres? I've seen a lot of different thoughts about his letter and what he actually means. But what's weird is the sightings of huge fiery spears rising from the sea or disappearing into the sea. So in my head, sounds like, you know, like when you're looking at the ocean, right? And there's like that sea line. The horizon. Yeah. So like, is it coming from the horizon and then going back down? Is it an alien ship? Like, what is it? What is he talking about? Yeah, like, I feel like it's all in like, the perspective in which he's seeing it. Like, is he on a boat watching it go up and down into the water? Is he like, looking at it in a distance and like what it looks like as it's going in and out of the water, but it's really not? Because how many times have we heard about fiery balls of light? Yes. We've heard it in Detloff Pass. We recently talked about it in Bridgewater Triangle. We've seen this over and over again. And this is the first time I've seen it with near bodies of water. Yeah. And then the fact that he said that it's caused destruction and that he did some research finding where it was in what years. So a lot of people think that he's discussing aliens in this letter. So there was also a first letter that was sent in May of 1958. And this one was a little different. It was just concerning crews disappearing from ships on the high seas and ships that have disappeared without a trace. I couldn't find the full letter, but I was able to find the reply to this letter. And the reply from the CIA thanked Mark for his letter and his concern, but they were unable to answer his questions. It was redacted, but the reply was from the assistant to the director of the CIA. And at that time, it was Alan Dulles, who was the CIA director. The reply was released in 2002. So not much information there, but just interesting that this guy is like sitting there writing letters to the CIA about <laughs> ships. <laughs> well, also, like, I think it's so interesting when classified documents are released because like sometimes they feel fully random and sometimes I'm like, is there some like timing mechanism? Is it just that someone filed a Freedom of Information Act request and that they were like, OK, well, if it's out, it's out. We're just going to post it or, you know, release it or what have you. I find that just generally interesting because, you know, I've done a deep dive looking for black <laughs> for black forest. So like a, a casual hangout on the CIA and FBI vaults is a fun time. It's interesting for sure. Very interesting. 
So we're talking about Amanda's favorite part, and that's the theories. So we're going to talk about a few of them. So the first is that it was an unauthorized voyage and that that's why there's no documentation. Or that because there was so much happening in the world around that time, the details of the incident didn't really make headlines because there was it was like the least of everyone's concerns. If it did happen around 1939, China was at war with Japan and World War II was happening. So like a few notable things are happening here already. Exactly. Also, during wars, generally, ships are going to like explode. <laughs> like that's not altogether surprising. Mm-hmm. Another theory is that the ship's registry was never found because it was registered in Sumatra. And Sumatra is the sixth biggest island on the earth, and it's the largest one in Indonesia. And the Medan is one of the largest cities on the island, and the ship's name translates to Man from Medan. So maybe, maybe. Okay, maybe, maybe. But also, like, people don't always name things, like, after specifically where they're from. So not my favorite theory. But here's another one. Maybe it was a carbon monoxide leak and they died of carbon monoxide poisoning. And some people do think that there was a faulty boiler or a fire on board. And that's what caused the fatal fumes, much like our Jerry Rabbit story from before, that there was like fumes happening. But it doesn't really account for the people who were on deck and had proper ventilation. Like they wouldn't have suffered the same effects, I would think. Right. But I also don't necessarily. I mean, I would imagine that carbon monoxide would dissipate. Like, as it rose. Yeah. But maybe, like, going down and, like, getting something and coming back up, like, that was enough. Right, right. Especially if you're already, like, sea-bound and not very healthy. (laughs) Right. I was like, okay, well, maybe. Like, that would account for all of, like you said, like, the people working below deck, but the ones on top? Because I'm just going back to the stories where they're like, 12 people were scattered around. Yeah. Doesn't really count for them dying where they died then. I would I would assume that they would have died below deck then. Yeah. And I also don't think if you had carbon monoxide poisoning, actually, maybe you would crawl up to try to get out. But if you could get out, I would imagine you'd be okay. Right. It's interesting. Like, it's a, it's an interesting theory. I just don't. That's not my favorite of theories. Yeah. So the other one is, which we talked about in some of the stories, that maybe this ship was carrying illegal or lethal substances or possibly biological weapons. Some think maybe the potassium cyanide and the nitroglycerin had somehow become reactive. And some speculate that maybe there was a leak in the ship and that the salt water would have damaged the shipping containers and mixed all the chemicals together, which then would have created a gas cloud. So because I'm no scientist, I phoned the closest thing that I knew to a chemistry scientist, (laughs) which is a high school chemistry teacher friend of mine. I was like, I'm pretty sure just a chemist (laughs) is the name for a chemistry scientist. Oh, it is. I needed to add science. I like that we're going to call everything like chemist scientist. Like we want you to be really clear that what we mean is science. Yes, that was purposeful. Uh, no doubt in my mind. <laughs> so he didn't think that nitroglycerin and potassium cyanide mixed with seawater would actually cause all of that to happen. But he thought that if there was indeed a rumor of sulfuric acid, that that could be it. And if sulfuric acid and seawater mixed, it could create a deadly gas if inhaled. So then I was like, but what about the explosion? And he's like, no, sulfuric acid can react with metals to make hydrogen gas that could explode. Yeah. So his theory, I was like, okay, explain this to me like I'm five because chemicals, I just feel like any weird chemical name should explode. Right. That makes sense to me. Chemicals are flammable. Right. Like that. Yeah, sure. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. So his theory was some of the sulfuric acid might have spilled and then it reacted with something to produce the hydrogen sulfide, which could have killed the crew. Some of it then could have reacted with metals on the ship. And he's like maybe a barrel or something like that. And it would have produced hydrogen gas, which would have been highly explosive. Okay. This makes more sense to me once you pull in like, if you mix this with that, then this is how it's going to go. But I need more. There's a lot of like what ifs. Like it had to have leaked. The seawater had to have gone in there. And like there had to be a special metal on board for it to like create all of this. Yes. Which like things happen. But it's just like that's like a Tom and Jerry-esque to me. Like the event to create this big explosion had to be like so random. Well, and to me, the explosion isn't the part that makes this mysterious. It's everything around it. Because all of these things aside, right? Boat's gone for whatever reason. Because sometimes boats go bye-bye. There's still... (laughs) That's science, too. Yeah. Obviously, that's boat science, ship science. Either one. We don't know. Boat or ship (laughs) science, whichever it is. Um, 
We'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. Uh, there's still like the families of 40 people who, if this was a thing that existed during that time when people were like, oh my Lord, here's this whole thing. We know X, Y, Z. At the very least, people who knew the people on the boat would say something, right? But no, that's a good point. We'll talk about that theory coming up. Because of these substances too, so what we just outlined, these wild theories, that might also be the reason there were no recordings of the ship or the incident. Because post-World War II, depending on you know when this actually might have happened, transporting sensitive materials could have been relatively controversial for a number of reasons. So that might be it. Okay. Okay. These are obviously going to be my favorite of the theories. <laughs> but so... First, we've got pirates, but the bodies weren't really wounded, right? So, like, that's bizarre. You would think if it was pirates, there would be some indication, but also a lack of people is an indication there, right? Like, maybe they could have made them walk the plank. That's all I thought of, too, when I thought of pirates. I was like, so they walked the plank. That's where the other people were. Do you know what they said? They looked at them and they went, you're sick. Boo-hoo. Toodaloo, off the boat with you. And then made him walk the plank. <laughs> Are you proud that I remembered that? Because I am. I was. <laughs> I love that. That like pirates speak and like sing songs. They're whimsy pirates. <laughs> Whimsical pirate shirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whimsy pirate is like absolutely 10 out of 10. <laughs> So also, Amanda mentioned it earlier, but aliens. So Morris Jessup in 1955 had this theory, and they said that based on the, how the bodies were found and the fact that there was like no natural cause suggested this, and also that there are rumors that some bodies were pointing upwards suggest a ship. Interesting. Maybe. And then what I thought of is this might explain their facial expressions too, because we don't know what aliens can do, right? Like when we talked about Bridgewater Triangle, they were saying, like, they can make them float. They could do things like that. Like, perhaps they use some crazy technology and it, like, froze them in their death. The only way in... Nope, I was going to say it. I was like, unless you were actually frozen and then thawed. But also, like, I think if you were freezing to death, you wouldn't have your teeth out. I meant frozen, like, stopped. No, no, I'm talking, like, frozen. Like, oh. the only way in which I can conceptually understand a person having, like being frozen would be if they were physically frozen but like when you're cold you don't want to show your teeth because then your teeth get cold like i know that you don't experience that on the actual sun but here where it gets like <laughs> very cold in the winter i mean like not like below zero or anything but like cold enough where you're not like let's feel the wind on these chompers right like i feel like that's over time though like your body would cool down quick but what if it was like flash frozen like quick Flash frozen. I'm Googling it. <laughs> Temperature for flash. I typed that terribly for flash freezing. What came up was flank steak, by the way. It's that's negative. <laughs> okay. Okay. So liquid nitrogen or temperatures negative 320 degrees Fahrenheit. And I'm just going to venture to say that I don't think that they encountered that type of weather, but maybe nitrogen in aliens. Yeah, but I'm saying we don't know alien technology, Lindsay. We don't know what they can do. You think that aliens are... F <laughs> I can't even. You think that aliens are flash-freezing humans? Like people do with soup? No, not in the temperature side of it, but they're saying... like I uh, Some of the things I read is that maybe their weird alien technology basically like froze their body in time in their death. So like... Their fearful faces were looking up at the ship and then all of a sudden some weird, I don't know, uh, light or laser or something crazy comes down and immediately kills them all. They fall to the ground with their faces frozen in time. Okay. I can kind of get there with you. I need you to know. I also looked up, this is the, the, the Google search that I just did, uh, remains found. And the word that I use to describe it, because we're talking teeth bared, right? I thought a good way to do that would be to type in grimace. <laughs> and what came up was like, McDonald's mystery. What is grimace? I mean, that's a big mystery. So, I mean, like, I think... 
that is a good mystery. But anyway, I do need remains found uh, shocked expression. Like, I want to see if there's like a way in which you can die in which shocked facial expression dead. Somebody in Quora said the following question. Are you ready? Do people who die horribly leave horrified expressions on their faces? Interesting. Okay, so on Quora, when you like look at this, there's people who recount having seen people who had died who were absolutely terrified and one person had drowned. So like that would make sense, though, because they're like at sea and if an alien was like, put you in water and then like, no, no, no. And then somebody else like talked about like other ways, but like interesting, interesting. That doesn't get me there with aliens. Like I love a good aliens. I mean, I say I love. I'm terrified of a good alien story, <laughs> but I don't think there's enough here for it for my liking. Well, what led everyone to aliens was mainly the CIA letter, right? Like, yeah, no, no. He's talking about these weird spheres and they're like, well, how could aliens do it? But I guess there's like a book. So a lot of this stems down to Morris Jessup, like you mentioned, and he was an American UFOologist. Love that for him. Love that journey for him. Yeah. So he knows he knows what's going on, Lindsay. He knows. He knows. (laughs) He looks intense. So also, some people theorize that maybe sea monsters did something to them and then they made the ship explode. (laughs) And like, who knows? Maybe they saw a beautiful, stunning lemon of the sea basil sores and they were just so in awe, they just simply dropped dead. Like it jumped over their boat free willy style. Also, I got far away from the mic because I was doing the free willy style with my arm. Yeah. And just the the pure, like just how majestic, how stunning, how glistening from the seawater. They were just like, ugh. And then the dog was jealous at their beauty. Well, I feel like they would have died with like looks of love on their face had they seen a basilosaurus. No, because they were so caught off guard. (laughs) They were shocked because it was big and its body made no sense. And it looked fucking dumb because they were looking at it like, it's beautiful. Why are you the way you are, Basilosaurus? <laughs> they were like, what is jumping up? It's majestic. And then they quickly realized, like I did, that its body makes no sense. It had hollow bones. <laughs> you know, you know. Speaking of sea monsters, too, real quick. One thing that I saw that I was like, oh, maybe some theorize undersea monsters that perhaps it was a siren. Yeah. Like, look, do I want it to be a spooky, weird thing? Yes, I do. But I just I need more because sirens lure you to your death via drowning. Right. And also like this beautiful song. You wouldn't have a look of fear. Right. Now I can see the dog growling. Right. Because they're like, this hurts my ears. Like what it do? Like, I don't like this. But maybe the missing people. Oh, maybe they said, hoo, hoo, hoo. There's a good looking lady. Who? Hold on. Wait, wait. Hold on. I can do this. I can do this. Maybe these 28 missing people went. Hoo hoo hoo, toodaloo. There's a fine looking lady over there. I bid you adieu. <laughs> Most sirens, though, didn't they have like bird wings? Oh, yeah. Hideous. <laughs> hideous. They were like bird women. I mean, they just assumed. So there's also paranormal suggestions. Like some accounts say that it was super hot outside, like Arizona level heat, like 110. But the ship itself was super cold. Others talk about the frightened expressions on the bodies. And then also some say that they were scared to death, which Amanda, what does that make you think of? Perhaps they uh, died of everlasting fate. Gasp. Uh, also, that is my favorite True Creeps t-shirt that I own, is our Everlasting Faint t-shirt. I bought it immediately when we like designed it. I was like, yes, this is for me. <laughs> Same. Also, I did actually, I was like, scared to death. Like, is that even a thing? <laughs> As you were saying that. And I just found an article from Cleveland Clinic. And they said, although rare, some people have died of being scared to death. And it's called stress cardiomyopathy. I could see like you could have a heart attack, right? Interesting. Interesting. I don't think that's it, but interesting. So this is one of my favorite theories. And it's that there was a cover up or a government conspiracy. And because chemical warfare and hazardous or dangerous chemicals and gases were still being discussed around this time, 
Perhaps the government that may have been moving such a thing would not want the story of it being passed around so that they covered it up. Some say it was super secret due to the Geneva Protocol. And the Geneva Protocol of 1925, ratified by 33 nations, outlawed all chemical weapons. So any transport of chemicals would be done on the DL, right? Yeah. And probably not registered or talked about. Okay, okay. So I've seen some people say that maybe that's why the rescuing crew, whoever they may have been, and the families didn't run around telling everyone about it too, because maybe they were paid off or threatened or something. Yeah, I mean, I would also say too, like, the paid off part I can get to, right? Because like, for sure. But like the like, oh, no, like they're going to get in trouble. I would imagine that like if your loved one was a crew member, they weren't making decisions, right? Like they were just working aboard that ship. And if Jerry Hop Hop's account is to be believed, not everybody knew what was on the ship. And so like that's where I would go. Hmm. But I could see someone who's in the know and able to perhaps paying them off. That makes sense to me. Yeah. So I think the the biggest question that most people have, and that I also have, because I'm a little on the fence, but it's, it's, did it actually happen? So there are many sources that have additional details that we didn't include already. It's kind of hard to know what actually happened because some add one or take one away. And then it's kind of like, was it this? Was it that? Mm -hmm. Was it a 40 person crew? Was it a 15 person crew? Was it X? You know, like these kinds of things. And so obviously I would consider this an urban legend of sorts, if you will. Right. To a certain extent. And so Roy Banton did an in-depth investigation because he wanted to find answers to this. Right. So. He found that there was no mention of the ship in Dutch shipping records, but there was a ship with the name of Madame. However, it was listed as scrapped before the outbreak of the Second World War. Interesting. Interesting. And like when they label it as scrapped, my question was like, kind of like a car. Like you could say, oh, that car is totaled. But can someone actually fix it? Sometimes they can, right? Like if they spend a lot of money and a lot of time and, you know. Yeah. It's not worth it most of the time. But like, do people take scrapped ships to use them for bad things, right? Yeah. You wouldn't want to use one that was registered to move chemicals around. But could they go to a scrapyard and make one work again? I don't know. Yeah. Like, what does it mean to scrap a boat? Right. That Maybe that's why there could have been leaks. Yeah. Like, or maybe they, like, didn't do it correctly, and that's why it ended up sinking. Maybe it wasn't an explosion. Maybe it just sank. Exactly. Exactly. So there was also no record of where the ship was sailing to or from, any mention of the ship in maritime logs, and there was no record in Lloyd's shipping registers, which is bizarre because most shipments were in there. One of the things that it was used for was it was used to reconcile the worth of the ship and how much it should be insured for. Yeah, and that's why it makes sense that it wouldn't be registered there because like, why would bad guys, if they were moving around chemicals, register their ship, right? Uh, can you go ahead and please insure my contraband, please? Like... <laughs> Yeah, but some are like, oh, well, maybe they weren't supposed to be moving that around and they just used the ship. So maybe the other, like if they were carrying anything else on board that was legal. Yeah, to like legitimize themselves. They would have registered it. So it's like, it's up in the air. It's a who knows because we don't know what was actually on the ship. That makes sense. That makes sense. And so there's also no accident investigation records. And another note, the Silver Star wasn't called the Silver Star for very long. So it was originally the Santa Cecilia by the Grace Line, W.R. Grace and Co., and later renamed to Silver Star when the United States Maritime Commission drafted it in 1946. So in 1947, it had been reacquired by the Grace Line and renamed Santa Juana and then was scrapped in 1971. So folks have reached out to Graceline to get logbooks and crew lists, and it sounds like they just refuse to respond. So in addition to trying to get logbooks and crew lists, people tried to get more on like the different positions that they had and other kinds of information. And then some people speculate that if we're looking at the history of this ship, right, it didn't become the Silver Star until 1946. So if you're going from the 1939 date, 
there's not going to be any Silver Star records because it wasn't the Silver Star. It was Santa Cecilia. And I feel like that's a really good theory, right? Like, why would they keep that? I guess it would make sense because from like a history standpoint, you would kind of want to know like what had happened. But I would imagine that people kept records differently when you had to keep everything in paper and you had to keep have a place for it to stay safe. And it's written in ink that can smudge. Right, right. So Andrew Hotchheimer, who we talked about earlier, said he spent hours looking through old newspaper archives for information on the Silver Star, and he only found articles on Graceline. And again, nothing on the ship itself, Silver Star. Hotchheimer says that during that time, there were tons of launch announcements, deployment announcements, and stories about other ships. He was able to find the launch announcements for Santa Cecilia and then the later iteration of the same ship, Santa Juana. The only other note about Silver Star is that on the Graceline ship list, it was listed as Santa Cecilia number three. So he was able to find it referenced on a United States Maritime Commission page. Yeah. So at least we know it existed. Yeah, like that boat existed. Like it existed at some point. Yes. And I feel like it's helpful to be like, but other boats we can find. Right. Like if we couldn't find any boat from around this time, I would be like, okay, that's normal. But like knowing that there's a way to look makes it a little bit. I don't know. I I am a little bit less like, hmm. The weird thing is, though, when people are like, where were your ships at this time? And they're like, not going to respond. No, thank you. Not that they have to. Right. Like, it's not like anyone asks you. You have to, from my understanding. But also like, yeah, why is it so secretive and why can't any of this information be found? I think that that's a little odd. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. So there's a 32-page booklet written in German, and the translation of this name, because I do not speak German and I do not want to butcher it, was The Dead Ship in the South Seas. And it's from 1954, and it's from Otto Milke. And it has information about the route, the ship itself, the cargo, potassium cyanide and nitroglycerin, and even names the captain. And they say that the incident happened in June of 1947, which, interesting, interesting, these dates. Yeah. They drive me nuts because like the first publication is 1940, but then how did it happen afterwards? Or was it like in 1940, maybe they weren't referring to that and something else? It's just, it's hard. It's hard to understand. I feel like conflicting pseudo facts are the most annoying part of this is that you're like, yes, but which is it? Because I'm trying to figure out if I believe this or not. Exactly. And there's been a few times like when I was researching at least where I'm like, okay, this happened. This is a cover up. And then I was like, mm, no, this, there's no way this didn't happen. And I felt like I was just fighting with myself the entire time. Yeah. Every time I stumbled upon a new article, I was like, yep, it's real. <laughs> yep, it's real. And then the next article, uh, it's bullshit. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know. Which is it? So a couple interesting things that came about because of this. It inspired the game called Man of Medan, and that was released in August of 2019. And I started the game. I never finished it, though, but it was really, really creepy. Their interpretation of the story was supposedly inspired by the writings of Silvio Shirley. And we talked about him earlier. I said, remember that name. So remember, he got his supposed information from the person who survived, who told the missionary, who then told him. But the game is super creepy. Look up the uh, teaser for it, because if you haven't played it, you should at least try it if you like spooky games. So there's a lot of books. There's some documentaries. There's all kinds of stuff made about the Orangmadan. Overall, no one can agree on what date it may have happened. No one can agree on what SOS message was actually sent. Who came to the rescue? Was it the ship, the ship, the ship? Who could know? What the ship was actually carrying, whether it be actual regular cargo, was it chemicals? Where did it actually occur? There's differing times, different places, everything. Did anyone survive? Some say everyone died. Some say there was a handful of survivors. Some say there's missing people. And why wasn't there an investigation? No one can agree on that either. So what are your thoughts? Do you think this actually happened? I did not think it happened. No? No, I don't think it happened because I don't think there's a solid enough set of facts to nail a loose story down, right? Like, what were they doing? Who were they? How many were they? What did they say? Like, I think because of that, like, I just, for me, there's not enough. There's no container for this jello, if you will. And (laughs) there's just not enough pseudo facts for me to be able to grab on tight. Yeah, like, I lean more towards no. That's where I lean. Yeah. But a part of me wants to go, it was covered up. (laughs) I just love a conspiracy, right? 
You know, I, I also love a conspiracy, like my fave. But sometimes it's just good old fashioned uh, lies. <laughs> it sounds like a story that someone told like at a bar to impress people. Right. Uh huh. Have you ever had a friend who like makes up stories about things and you're like, that did not happen. Yeah. I think that someone told this story and the person overhearing it didn't have enough good sense to go. That is absolute malarkey. Like, no way. I mean, yes. What I think, too, it could just be recycled, but I think that maybe there was something, right? Like, maybe there's something that happened. Maybe it's not all these crazy details, but maybe something happened. Yeah. Maybe the name was changed, right? I think that when whoever survived told the missionary, who then may have told an author, that that author liked that story, sat with it for years added to it, made it creepy, made it cool. And then when he came to the U.S., gave them an entirely different story with different years. And then it got recycled through there because then something may have happened in the 30s. Yeah. And then it turned into this. I could see that like there's an original story, but the facts got changed so much that it's not recognizable anymore. Like I could see that, but that's not the story of the Rai Madan. Right. Like this is fiction that so like it could have source content and still be reasonable. Right. Right. And I think that's what's like frustrating because it sounds just so close enough to real, at least to me. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, some people are like, he made up the original story, too, in 1940. Yeah. And said, yes, a missionary found this person. And then they told me. But it's like, we'll never know. Right. Like they didn't cite who they spoke with. There's no way of actually finding this out. Exactly. But I love that people are still trying to deep dive into this and like argue with one another as to why it's real and why it's not. I love that you're like, I love that they're arguing. I do. I love this. I love this for us. No, I have no doubt in my mind. I sat there in comments and I was like, yes, you're right. And I was like, no, never mind. This guy's right. And I'm like, Mm-mm, this one is. So it, it gave me uh, a thing to concentrate this week that was actually like fun and like a lot of people may have died on the ship if it is true. But now we're leaning towards no, probably not. But it was like an interesting kind of creepy, fun story to deep dive into. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I agree. And I mean, as always, we want to know, do you think this is true? And why? And why? <laughs> I want to hear your arguments in the comments. Also, like, have you ever heard of this? Because like before like Amanda brought this up, I'd never heard of it. Yeah. And a good old, I love a good boat urban legend. Also, hey, Amanda, I have something, a gift for you. Is it a whimsy pirate? Uh, it's not a whimsy pirate, but I think you're going to like this. Okay. Okay. I'm stoked and scared. It's from blogs.scientificamerican. Oh, so it's real science. Real science. Uh, maybe. I don't, I have, I have no clue of what Scientific American is. Like, let me check really quick and make sure they're not like, coronavirus is a lie. And I'm like, oh no. Are you fake news? I can't tell. Is, uh, facts. It's just the, at the end, it's just, these are facts, period. Scientists. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was founded in 1845. I feel. It has published articles by tw 200 Nobel Prize winners. Okay, this isn't some like fake right wing conspiracy website. I bet there's at least like 10 Nobel Prize winners who believe in the Orang Medan. Obviously. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about an article that I found there. Are you ready? I'm ready. It's titled, On the Importance of Names, Part 2. What's the difference between a boat and a ship? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to know? I yes it's what I've been like dreaming about forever <laughs> okay and so this article quotes another article from the straight dope I'm suddenly getting less <laughs> less enthused about uh the the validity of this but so they use this quote from them it says among sailing vessels the distinction between ships and boats is that a ship there's three masts that have sails on them. And then with regard to motorized craft, a ship is a large vessel intended for ocean going or at least deep water transport and a boat is anything else. Okay, so like by that definition, then like a yacht would be a boat. Yeah, I think so. Okay. And see in my head those giant yachts, I'm like that's a ship. That's big, right? Yeah, cuz it's so big. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. We'll take that. I like that. I think that's a good it uh goes 
deep into the ocean. I'm glad that Nobel Prize winning people that give their information to the other site, they reference, what was it, straight dope or something? Yeah, the straight dope. I don't even know what the straight dope is. So like, no beef, whoever that is. Uh, it sounds scientific to me. I don't know if the person who wrote this has a Nobel Prize. Just people who contribute to that site have, some of them have Nobel Prizes. Okay. But so that's the difference. The straight dope. It's the straight dope. Their website says fighting ignorance since 1973. Fantastic. It's taking longer than we thought. (laughs) I like them. That sounds great. (laughs) Good job. All right. I'm down. This is great. This is science. Good job. Yeah. Okay. Well, also, Amanda, do you know what's coming up very soon? Our second game night. Yeah. It's on Friday the 13th in May. Very excited about this. We would love if you would join us. We've already got some people RSVP'd. If you'd like to join us, you can head to our website, truecreeps.com, and click the little Patreon button and take a little look. In a very recent episode, we walked through all our tiers. We're not going to do that today because we just did it. But you can take a look at all of our perks. We don't list our game nights because they're a newer thing. Maybe we'll keep doing game nights. Maybe we'll do something else. Who knows who will be? (laughs) Yep. And then you'll have access to our Patreon-only Facebook page and Discord, which is a lot of fun. We have a lot of weird conversations going on there. Yeah memes for days and they got to give their input in our last episode just last minute ask patreon it's fun yeah yeah i think so and like you know when you're like scrolling through your social media of choice and you're like i found this hilarious thing who could i share this with you can share it with the bat bonfire that's who you could share it with you're always looking for who to send my memes to it's my love language well (laughs) with that have a great weekend thanks for creeping with us thanks for listening For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. Amanda, I know that you said you aren't a ship scientist, but because we learned so much ship jargon from this, do you think that you might be like in ship science school? I feel like I will never be able to be a ship scientist because as much research as I did for this, I still can't tell you the difference between a boat and a ship and I never will be able to. And I feel like that's like key. I I would name someone a ship scientist or a boat scientist if they could tell me. I thought ships were bigger. Yeah, I did too. But remember the other one that we did, they called it a boat. And then sometimes that tiny one was a ship. So I don't know. This was in Bermuda Triangle? Could be. (laughs) Us uh, doing true creeps tribute to each other and failing completely. Sometimes boats go bye-bye.